Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. So this morning, um, we're continuing in our series called Extreme Heroes. And our hero today is Moses. Now, I hate to brag, you know, I don't like to brag or anything, but I became an expert on Moses early on in my Christian life. And the reason I became such an expert on Moses is because every year on January 1st, I would start one of those Bible reading plans. You know what I'm talking about? Where the goal is to read through the whole Bible in a single year. You know, I had heard about all these great spiritual people who did the Bible annually. So I decided if I'm going to be a spiritual giant, I got to follow one of these regimented Bible reading plans. And so every year in January, I was fired up, right? And you start reading through the Old Testament, you get through Genesis, before long, you get to Moses. In February, you're clipping through Exodus, and there's some pretty decent narrative there. But then all of a sudden, you find yourself plowing through all these Levitical laws and genealogies, right? And you're studying such fascinating things as cleansing from mildew and infectious skin diseases, And then you wake up one morning in March, and you're like 115 chapters behind, right? And so you hit your knees and you praise God that you're a dispensationalist who's now living in the New Testament era of grace. And you assure yourself that part of God's grace is that it's not a sin to skip over those passages about pots and pans in the tabernacle. And then by about April, I was back in the New Testament again doing my normal Bible reading. But then the next year I would sign back up again, okay? And I did that for several years. And in the process, I got Moses down, right? So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to take a look at Moses, but particularly we're going to talk about what made Moses such a godly spiritual leader. Because believe it or not, you may not recognize this about yourself, but I believe that God has called you, that God has called every single one of us to be a leader in certain spheres of our lives. I mean, moms lead children, dads lead their families, men and women alike. We lead at home, we lead at work, we lead in the community, we lead in church, we even lead people to Jesus. But in our culture today, there is a shortage of quality servant leaders. There are plenty of self-centered, selfish leaders, and our communities, our families are suffering because of that. But we need more servant leaders. I think in our society today, we're kind of judged based on how many people serve us. But God says the secret to greatness is how many people you serve. And like never before, I believe we need servant leaders in government, in business, in the media, in churches. God doesn't want his people following the crowd and culture. He wants them leading it in the right direction. So in every strata of society, we need men and women who will step up and say, I will lead with integrity in a godly and upright way. And Moses was that kind of authentic servant leader. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look particularly at the challenges that Moses faced in leadership. Because in whatever leadership role God has called you to, I'm going to guess that you're going to face the same challenges that Moses faced. Life is a challenge. And being a servant leader will just test every fiber of your being. So let's walk through three big challenges you're going to have to overcome if you want to be the leader God calls you to be. Write these down. The first challenge is going to be in the area of confidence. Okay, a lack of confidence or doubt can keep you from moving ahead in leadership. Now, oftentimes, I think we're our own worst enemy. The biggest challenge is ourselves. 
It's really a lack of faith in God, but it manifests itself as a lack of faith in ourselves. As a pastor, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I don't think I'm spiritually mature enough to take on that role. Whenever it comes to maybe leading in a particular ministry in the church, there's this lack of confidence. Or they'll say, you know, I don't know the Bible like you do, so I don't think that I can mentor this, this married couple or, or disciple this young believer in Christ. I mean, what if they ask me a theological question I don't know? Or, or I can serve, but don't ask me to lead. And this whole lack of confidence thing surfaces. It's the very first challenge to being a godly servant leader. Now, if you lack confidence in the area of leadership, you're not alone. It's nothing new. As a matter of fact, if you look at the story of Moses, this is the very first challenge he had to overcome. When God spoke to Moses through the burning bush and called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, what was Moses' response? Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The very first words out of Moses' mouth were, who am I? A total lack of confidence. Now, wouldn't you think that standing in the very presence of God, the supernatural presence of God, that that would bring confidence? I mean, how could he doubt? You know, I think it's easy for us to think that a supernatural sign like a burning bush that is not consumed would be all that we would need for confidence. I mean, when I'm unsure, I would love a sign from God like a burning bush, right? I'd even settle for a rose bush or a twig that spontaneously combusted or Maybe a flashlight at my house that actually worked. That would be a miracle, okay? (laughs) I would love any sign from God that he wanted me heading in a particular direction. And then when I lack confidence, Wendy could say to me, hey, remember that moment? Remember the burning flashlight? And I'd be like, yeah, right? Moses had that supernatural sign. He was standing in the supernatural presence of the God of the universe. And yet listen to all the ways in which he lacked confidence. Exodus 3.11, who am I that I should go? Exodus 4.1, what if they do not believe me or or listen to me? Exodus 4.10, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then finally, in Exodus 4.13, once God answered all of his other objections, he said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Total lack of confidence. Why? Why? I don't know for sure. But I have to assume that Moses had doubts because he had some of the same feelings that you and I do. I mean, why do you doubt? Some of you, maybe you doubt because of your past. Well, Moses didn't exactly have a stellar past. If you know the story of Moses, you know that one of the reasons he was out in the desert was because he murdered somebody. He killed an Egyptian man while trying to defend an Israelite. Then he ran away. So there was a murder in his past. Not exactly a minor character flaw. And maybe you don't feel that great about your past. Well, you're not alone. Everyone in here, we've all got a past. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. But here's the problem. When you think about the past, it keeps you from focusing on what your future could be like with God. And many people will say, you know, I don't know if God can really use me. I mean, look at my past. But we limit the future when we focus on the past. Remember that. You limit the future when you focus on the past. You know, maybe Moses had doubts because he didn't think he was smart enough to pull off this role. I've heard people say that to me all the time. Well, I don't understand it all. I don't think I could handle this job. For 40 years, do you know what Moses' job was? Tending sheep. Okay, he was a shepherd. Not exactly a cool job. You don't brag about that on your resume, right? Sheep are dumb. They're like the dumbest animals on the planet. 
They don't run fast. And when they do run, they don't bend their knees. Have you noticed that? They have knees. They have yet to figure out how to use them. Sheep are dumb. And Moses' job is just to sit around every day, just watch sheep. He's not even the head shepherd. He's like a co-shepherd working for his father-in-law, Jethro. So maybe Moses is thinking, what a loser job this is. I don't have the brains. I don't have the experience to pull off this new role. Or, or maybe sometimes people feel like they don't have the right gifting or the right personality to lead. Folks, those were the excuses I used when God was calling me into ministry. And you may not know this about me, but God drew me kicking and screaming into full-time pastoral ministry. Moses had nothing over me in the excuse department. And let me just share a watershed moment in my life. Um, some of you know this about me, but this was kind of an event that God used to propel me into ministry. I was 21 years old at the time, and I was pursuing a career in music. I was studying at McLennan Community College in Waco, Texas, studying music there. And while God had tried to get my attention in other ways and was kind of using the passion I had for his word to stir my heart, I assumed that if God had any intention of using me in some kind of Christian ministry, it would be in the Christian music industry, not in pastoral ministry. But then one morning, <laughs> I was practicing my bass. I was getting ready to go in to play for my final exam jury. And a guy out of the blue came up to me. Okay, I didn't, didn't really know this guy. I recognized him from one of my classes. He only attended the class like a handful of times. So I didn't know his name. And he came up to me. He said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wondering how he would know that. He didn't know me from Adam, okay? And it wasn't like at that time I, I walked around campus wearing Jesus freak t-shirts or yelling repent at the student union building or anything like that. And this guy, he says to me, well, God told me to come over to you and tell you that he has great plans for you in the future in full-time ministry. Now, you have to understand, at this point in time, I was kind of a brand new Christian, very young, extremely skeptical, right? And so in the back of my mind, I was kind of thinking, okay, this must be one of those charismaniac Christians I've heard about, you know, the kind that walk around telling everyone they have a message from the Lord. And then I, or I was thinking, you know, maybe this is one of my friends playing a prank on me or something. And while those thoughts were going through my mind, this guy pressed in even further. He said, what are you doing here in this school? And I very politely told him, well, you know, I, I think God might want to use my musical gifts in the Christian music industry, something along those lines. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, what are you doing here, buddy, right? You're in this music school. Maybe, maybe hey, the Lord has a message for you too, right? It's getting a little uptight. And then he just kept on. He said, have you ever thought about going into pastoral ministry? And knowing full well that God and some other friends of mine had kind of been trying to nudge me that direction, and I was totally resistant. I said, no way. Not a chance in the world. That's not my gifting. That's not my personality. I've never spoken in public in my life. I am not a public speaker. I'm not good at that. I can't do that. No way, Jose. And I'll never forget, this guy looked me straight in the eyes, and he said, you know, that was Moses' excuse too. And I just stood there stunned, angry, and believe it or not, for a pastor, speechless, right? I was like, wow. And before this stranger walked away, he turned to me and said, God wants to use you, brother. Never saw him again. To this day, I have no idea who he was. I asked a whole bunch of people. Nobody seemed to know who this guy was. So I've often wondered, was that one of those Hebrews 13 experiences, right, where we sometimes entertain angels without even knowing it? Now, you would think that would have been enough to kind of prompt me, right, move me forward. No, no. 
like the burning bush, God can do something like that and you can kind of blow it off. I just assumed, okay, this guy probably figured out through some mutual friends that I was a Christian. He probably walks around telling everybody they need to go into pastoral ministry. Just totally wrote it off, right? There's no way, God, right? right? No, no way. It took a long time before I surrendered to God on this one. But I share that story with you because even if God does something extraordinary in your life, we tend to doubt ourselves and we doubt God. You know, God had already showed Moses how his staff could miraculously turn into a snake and cause leprosy before Moses used the I can't speak very well excuse. And when you have doubts, I believe God's answer to you is the same as God's answer to Moses. Look at this. This is Exodus 3.11. Moses says, who am I? And then in Exodus 3.12, God responds with, I will be with you. Who am I? And God's like, who cares? I will be with you. People, those five words are the key to confidence. I want you to circle those words. I want you to write those words down. I want you to memorize those words. I will be with you. In the midst of his doubts, God promised Moses his presence. And what more do you need? Because if you've got God's presence, you've got God's power. What kind of power? Well, in verse 14, Moses is told by God, hey, if anybody asks who sent you, just tell them I am who I am. Whoa. Just tell them I am sent you for short. The God who always is, always was, and always will be. The God whose power created everything in this universe says, I will be with you. I will show up. You've got my presence and you've got my power. Now that should inspire great confidence. You know, when Jesus gave his final marching orders to his disciples, he gave us the very same promise in Matthew 28. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's our call to leadership. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, our confidence comes from God's power, which comes from God's presence being with us at all times. But confidence is not the only challenge you'll have to face if you want to be a servant leader. How about conflict? Okay, conflict is a big challenge in leadership. Moses learned to overcome his doubts and have faith in God, but then he had to move from that vertical relationship with God to horizontal relationships with people. And Moses, like everyone else who's ever been called to lead other people, had conflict with people. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 14, as the Israelites are fleeing from the Egyptians, no sooner had Moses started to lead than the conflict began. The Israelites said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And folks, that was just the beginning, just the beginning of many conflicts between Moses and the Israelites. And here's what's interesting to me. Moses had conflict with the masses, but Moses also had conflict with his key leaders. Like the time he went up on the mountain to spend some time alone with God, and he stayed up there a little too long for some people. And by the time he came back down, some of his leaders were melting down gold to build a giant golden calf for idol worship. Needless to say, there was some conflict over that one. Moses' story is filled with conflict. And you know what? Our stories are filled with conflict as well. That's life. Jesus experienced conflict, particularly with the religious leaders of the day. Those closest to Jesus, his disciples, they were in conflict with one another. 
The apostle Paul and Barnabas, missionaries together for years. What happened? They had such a heated conflict, they said, we're done. They couldn't do it together anymore. They went their separate ways. So why would we expect anything else in our lives? We all experience conflict, right? With roommates, family members, coworkers, neighbors, people in our small group. Now, there were actually two seminary students who nearly got into a fist fight about a theological issue on the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. True story. I mean, conflict is everywhere. Now, if you're out here right now and you're like, you can't relate to conflict, you're like, well, that's not me. I want to encourage you in a couple ways. First of all, I want to encourage you to rejoice, all right? And second, I want to say prepare, because it's coming your way. You're next. It's right around the corner. Conflict is inevitable. And when it comes, it'll be filled with impure motives, miscommunication, misunderstandings, hidden agendas, insecurity, pride. And conflict, it eats at you, doesn't it? I mean, you think about it continuously, you can feel it. It can be all-consuming, and conflict can pull you away from focusing on God. So how did Moses deal with this whole issue of conflict? Again, he hung on to those five words, I will be with you. I will be with you. Okay, one more challenge to write down here. This is another challenge you'll face if you seek to be a servant leader. It's called criticism. Now, criticism is more of a drag because this is where it gets really personal, okay? If conflict is like a boxing match, then criticism is like backyard wrestling where anything goes. And the people that should have been the most thankful to Moses were the ones criticizing him. They questioned his leadership. They attacked his faith. Exodus 16.2 says, In the desert, the whole community, the whole community of Israel, grumbled against Moses. Do you know what many scholars believe, how many Israelites there were? Two million or more. Two million people. You talk about enduring criticism. It says the whole community was grumbling. We don't like you. Your leadership stinks, right? I can't even imagine that kind of criticism. And what's interesting is Moses was being criticized even though he was doing God's will. You know, I remember many, many years ago, back when I was a youth pastor, our leadership team pulled off an awesome Halloween alternative outreach event for teenagers. It was a medieval feast and game night complete with authentic food, a sword fighting competition, a search for the Holy Grail. It was amazing, okay? I mean, it was like a home run event. We shared the gospel with all sorts of lost teenagers that night. And when the event was over, I was like on cloud nine. I couldn't have been any more happy with the way it turned out, the work of the Holy Spirit that evening. I was on cloud nine until I went to staff meeting that week. And rather than being appreciated for what God had done and pulling off this great outreach event, I was criticized because the floors were not mopped correctly after the event. Criticism. Now, the fact was, I had a dozen leaders who stayed up until 3 a.m. cleaning the floors, but it wasn't good enough. And none of the pastors who were on our staff team had been there that night to witness the incredible work of the Holy Spirit and all the teenagers whose lives were changed, the amazing stuff that happened. All they were focused on was the condition of the floor. But I, did, I was so good. I was like Jesus Jr., okay? I was listening to this stuff, just biting my tongue, no reply whatsoever. And so they're kind of going on, and then my somewhat uptight associate pastor friend started talking about how he found some breadcrumbs in the corner of the room that wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for the fact that he heard there was a food fight that night. Criticism. 
Now, the truth is, there was some bread tossed between a few of the tables for a little while. It wasn't like we were hurling turkey legs at each other, anything along those lines. That was it. And again, I just sat there, and it was just, at that time, my smile was kind of getting like this, maybe. But I just listened, no reply. And then the senior pastor chimed in. He said, hmm, you know, I don't think that having a food fight at a youth event, even if it's just bread, is such a good idea. That's not teaching our teenagers properly. And then that was it. Okay, like Popeye, I had all as I could stands. I could stands no more. I lost it, okay? I'll just admit, I, could, I, I don't know exactly what I said. It was something along the lines of, well, thank you for this great pooling of ignorance, okay? You guys have clearly shown me you don't have a clue about what it means to minister to teenagers. Now, you have to understand, <laughs> confrontation was not my specialty. I was, I'm more of an imploder than an exploder. And so for me, after that came out of my mouth, I felt like I had taken a bazooka and blown the senior pastor's head off or something. But this particular senior pastor, he was a strong, high-D, dominant personality. He loved the debate that ensued after that one, okay? In fact, when it was all said and done, he actually put his arm around me. He said, you know what? You're probably right. That's why we hired you to do youth ministry. He said, next time, tell you what, put money in the budget. We'll hire a janitor. You don't have to worry about it. Keep up the great work. It's like, Wow. I went outside and puked, I think, after that. But <laughs> he loved it. But I say all that because criticism, man, it eats at you, doesn't it? Man, it tore me up there. Brings you down. And some of you, maybe you're criticized for being a Christian, or you're criticized for who your friends are, you're criticized for how you raise your kids. And we like to go through life pretending that criticism doesn't hurt, but it stings. And criticism really doesn't require any kind of truth or intelligence. In fact, it usually doesn't come from a critical mind. It usually comes from a critical heart. And we might try to talk ourselves out of it, but we can only endure hearing depressing stuff for so long before it demoralizes our spirit, drags us down. So how did this great hero of the faith, Moses, respond to all the criticism he had to endure. With, with challenges and conflicts and already feeling a little bit insecure about himself, Moses turned to God and said, Lord, kill me. Kill me. Surprise, huh? Here I'm talking about this great hero of the faith. But when things got dark, he said, just, just put me to death right now. Take me out. Look at Numbers 11. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Love it. Did I give them birth? They keep wailing to me. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now if I found favor in your eyes. <laughs> Love that. And do not let me face my own ruin. People, if you've ever gotten to the point where you're that deeply depressed, you're in good company. See, one of the things I love about the Bible is how honest it is about raw human emotion. God doesn't sugarcoat the lives of his saints. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life where you just wanted to give up? Where you feel like there's just too much on my shoulders, God's not answering my prayers? If so, join the great saints of the Bible. Moses said, I can't take it anymore. Just put me to death right now. And when you have those feelings, you're not the first and you're not the last. It's part of this journey called life. And it's part of leadership, doubt, conflict, criticism. Moses spent 40 years wandering in the desert being faithful to God. Not exactly a walk in the rose garden. That's not the Christian life. And if you want to be an authentic, godly servant leader, you're going to face those kinds of challenges. 
But you know what? In the midst of those challenges, Moses ended up with a reputation of being a man like no other. How did he pull that off? What did he do? If you study the life of Moses, it's painfully simple. Moses spent time with God. He spent time with God. Look at Deuteronomy 34.10. talks about Moses at the end of his life. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Here's Moses' epitaph. There's never been another like him. He knew the Lord face to face. When you know somebody face to face, you're not a stranger. The key to Moses' godly leadership is right there, right there. He spent time with God. Moses, man, he faced overwhelming challenges, conflict, criticism. He was responsible for millions of people. I mean, there was some big stuff going on swirling around Moses. Think about it. Pharaoh, the plagues, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, the Ark of the Covenant, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, some really big stuff, right? Surrounded Moses. But what's interesting to me is that he didn't let all that big stuff pull him away from God. In spite of all the activity, he spent time with God. In the midst of all the noise, he found time for silence. With all the chaos of people constantly surrounding him, he stayed in God's presence. How did he do it? He kept getting before God. He made that a priority. You see it time and time again. In Exodus 33, 7 to 11, we read this. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses found his strength by spending time in the presence of God. And don't miss that last verse. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Wow. How cool would that be? So the question I want to leave you with this morning is very simple. Are you getting before God? I mean, do you have a time set aside each day just to spend alone with God? It may only be a minute, a couple of minutes but some time to pray and, and read the Bible and listen to God's voice. Many years ago, I was talking with a good friend of mine, and I asked him how his spiritual walk was going because he traveled a whole lot. And his travel kept him from being consistently involved in ministry here in this church. And this is what he said to me. He said, you know, Brian, I found that the key to staying strong in my walk with God is having my daily quiet times. He said, I can be outside of my small group for a number of months. I can miss worship services for a while and still stay strong as long as I'm having my quiet times. But when my quiet times slip, doesn't matter whatever else Christian activity I might be involved in. If my quiet time fails, I fail. See, he spent time with God. So God has called each and every one of us to be authentic, godly servant leaders in one sphere or another. And what we can learn from the life of Moses is that the key to overcoming doubt, conflict, and criticism in life and in leadership is to spend time with God and remember his promise. Remember those five words, people. I will be with you. 
I will be with you. And when you have God's presence, you have God's power. What more could you need than the power of the almighty God of the universe? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for the life of Moses and what an incredible hero of the faith he was. And God, I want to thank you for very candidly spelling out his strengths and his weaknesses because we can all relate. We're all imperfect people trying to do life with you, a perfect God, so we can experience the abundant life, the best life possible. God, I want to thank you for your promise to us as believers that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that your presence is with us at all times, and with your presence comes your power. Power that gives us confidence, power that helps us to overcome conflict and, and criticism, power that can enable us to be authentic, to serve others, not to be selfish leaders, but godly servant leaders. So that's my prayer this morning, is that we would search our lives, because I believe, even for those who don't think of themselves as a leader in the traditional sense, that in some way, shape, or form, you're calling us to lead. In our homes, at work, in the church, our communities, wherever it may be. So God, would you reveal that to us, and then just help us to overcome our doubts, to deal with the conflict and the criticism that comes our way and to bring you honor and glory in all things. God, would you teach us as well to not only know that you're with us, but to spend time with you, to get away each and every day and just be reminded of your presence and your power and to recognize that. And and then throughout the day, just to call on you, just a few seconds here, a few seconds there to invite you into every moment of our day that we might not be depending on who we are, but depending on who you are and the power of your spirit living through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.